Thank you so much, Jim, for that prayer. What a wonderful way to lead into our looking at the Word of God together this morning. We're going to continue in our Christmas series on this third Sunday of December 2022. And if you have a Bible with you, if you have access to a Bible, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we will be looking at verses 46 through 55. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And again, this morning, if you don't have a Bible, if you're here this morning, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible. It is yours to keep. We would love for you to have it as a gift from our church. If you're watching by live stream this morning, I think you can easily follow along with the verses that I will be sharing As Jim mentioned in his prayer, we are looking this morning at Mary's song of praise. That's what this particular passage is about. It is known historically as the Magnificat, and that comes from the Latin version, the first word of the Latin version of this song. Um, And so it is known as the Magnificat. And let me give you just a little bit of background before I read this. The angel Gabriel has come to Mary and told her that she is going to be with child before she ever has relations with Joseph. And that this child will be the Messiah and he will sit on the throne of David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary understandably responds, how can this be? How can this be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so from there, Mary says, behold, the servant of the Lord, may it be to me according to your word. So humble, so willing to do whatever God has for her to do, not that she understands it. There are many things she didn't understand, but she humbles herself before the Lord and accepts his plan for her life. And then she goes to her relative Elizabeth, goes to her home, and Elizabeth is six months pregnant at this time with John the Baptist. And it says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I want you to hold on to that this morning. That has everything to do with what I'm going to share with you in this message. And the baby in her womb leaped for joy. And then we come to Mary's song. And it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Well, our first point this morning is Mary's song of praise. As a church, we are focusing on being a people of great hope and joy. As I shared with you two weeks ago, and then again last week, and we'll share with you again next Sunday morning on Christmas morning. That's the theme for this year. I want us as a church body, I want First Baptist Church of St. John's to be a people of great hope and joy. As I have shared with you, we have been through two and a half at least years of difficulties, as have many churches throughout the nation because of COVID. But it is time now, it is time now for us to move forward to move forward with great hope and joy. We live in our country, uh, a culture that is just toxic politically, divisive, people uh, disagreeing with each other in extremes. And it is time for us to rise above all of that and move forward as a church. This is our time. This is our time to rise above those things and to put those things behind us And think of all the great things that God is going to do. We have so much to be thankful for. This is Christmas, but it's Christmas is always Thanksgiving, isn't it? So much to be thankful for as individuals. So much to be thankful for as families. Many of you will gather this week with families and have great celebrations together. I praise God for that. And it's time for us as a church to continue to be thankful for all that God is doing among us. I mentioned some things that first week, and I want to mention just a few more this morning. But I think back to our last baptism membership service on Sunday, November 6th, in that evening. And if you didn't have a chance to watch that service, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. That Sunday evening service of November 6th, our baptism membership service. If you want to watch it, I'm sure Pastor Mike could tell you a number of different ways to access it, but you can simply go to YouTube and just type in First Baptist Church of St. John's, Michigan, November 6th, and it'll pop right up. But during that night, there were some powerful testimonies. I mean some powerful testimonies. I was moved that night, not all, but many of them. Many of the testimonies given that night were from young adults in our church. And the thought and the prayer that went into those testimonies to me was amazing. And I said this on that Sunday night. One of the most frequent questions I have been asked over my years of ministry is, why do we ask people 
to give their salvation testimony when they're baptized or when they join the church. And if you watch that service, you'll understand why. You'll understand why. People testifying for Christ. They shared things that night we need to hear, that we're not going to hear in any other way. We need to hear how God is at work in your life, what God is doing in your life. But not only that, I, I think of our March Missions Conference coming up. The Missions Committee is already beginning to plan for that. And again this year, we just have some wonderful speakers lined up for you. We have Brad Buser coming. We have Brandon Buser coming. We have Carl Kresge coming. They're all going to be speaking during our March Missions Conference, and we are excited about it. This last Tuesday, I had the privilege of being at the Mighty Oaks uh, Christmas dinner, and Dawn Benson and her team just did a fabulous job of putting that event together, and some really good things are happening in that Mighty Oaks ministry. I think of what John Kresge shared with us again this morning about the Perspectives course. You know, we were actually going to have this a year before, but we couldn't had to be postponed because of COVID, but now we can. And I encourage you to consider what John shared with you and the information that is in the bulletin. Folks, we need to be thankful. We need to be excited as we look forward. You know, you know that little principle you teach your kids when they're growing up? There are two ways to look at life. You can either look at it negatively and critical, or you can look at the positive and be thankful and filled with joy. It's kind of like I shared with you before. All of life is really like Winnie the Pooh. You're either an Eeyore or you're a Tigger. You really are. Um, you're one or the other. And it's your choice. It's your choice. And as I said, and I say this in love, sometimes when I listen to Christians, I, I get discouraged. I almost get depressed. I mean, everything's negative about their life, about our country, about their church. And folks, it's our choice. It's our choice as individuals and as a church that we need to be positive and we need to look forward to what God is doing. He's on the move. He's on the move right now all over the world. And we need to join him in what he's doing and that's why I chose this particular passage of Scripture this morning. Mary's song of praise reminds us that we serve a God of grace, mercy, and kindness to those who fear him, to those who humbly receive his free gift of salvation. Oh, we serve a great and a mighty God. R.C. Sproul said one time that if you want to learn how to praise the Lord, memorize Mary's song. That's what he said. If you want to learn how to praise the Lord, memorize Mary's song of praise. She is a young teenage girl. In fact, some critics of the Bible have said that this song is so filled with rich theological content from the Old Testament that they just can't believe it's from a young teenage girl, and that probably the early church inserted these words and gave Mary credit for it. No, that's not what happened. This is just a young woman, a young woman in love with God, a young peasant girl 
in love with the God of Israel. And in verses 46 and 47, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Just that first part, my soul magnifies the Lord. Oh, let us magnify the Lord, for he is good, he is gracious, he is kind. He loves us with an everlasting love. He shows us mercy upon mercy, undeserved mercy. And Mary says, my spirit rejoices. I love that. There's the joy. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary was not sinless. She rejoiced in God, her Savior, the one she knew would save her from her sin. And in, in, in view of that, she finds great joy. In verse 48, she says, and For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Remember what Elizabeth said to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And I think Mary is overwhelmed. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I think Mary is asking this question. Why me? Why me? Lord, why not one of the rich girls in Israel or in the Roman Empire? Why not one of the girls from a prominent, powerful family? Why me? Lord, I'm just a lowly, humble peasant girl, and you have chosen me. And make no mistake about it, she was God's choice. God, in his great, sovereign, infinite wisdom, chose someone who was lowly, someone who was humble, someone whose heart yearned for him. And so she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for, for behold, from now on, with this young girl, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And then in verse 49, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. That is something that you can say in your prayer, and I can say in my prayers, he who is mighty has done great things for me. If you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, God has done great things for you. You should say, I should say, why me, Lord? Of all the now eight-plus billion people in this world, why did I hear the gospel? Why did you enable my heart to be open to receive your gracious and free gift of salvation? Why me, O oh Lord? Why has my family been blessed so much? No, not everything is easy. We go through times of trial and times of suffering and times of sorrow. But in the middle of all of it, we have the joy of Jesus. We have a precious Savior who will never leave us nor forsake us. We have so much to be thankful for. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And he is always holy. He is always perfect. Well, our second point this morning is a Savior for everyone. 
a savior for everyone. There is no one in any place in the world who is excluded from the call of the gospel. Mary reminds us that God's salvation is for the lowly, for the humble, for the hungry, for the meek in all the parts of the world. And I just praise God for that. And as we think of the Perspectives course and as we think of our missions conference coming up, let us rejoice that we with great confidence can take the gospel to every part of the world knowing that the gospel is for everyone. No, not everyone will believe, but it is for them. And it doesn't matter how remote a village may be. It doesn't matter how backward a people may be. The gospel is for them. It is for them. Romans 10, 13, that famous verse says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Aren't you glad for that? Let us praise God for that. Every person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that all should come to repentance. Now, we know that not all will, but they could. The gospel goes out to everyone. Oh, we serve a God who doesn't want anyone to perish, but wants all to come to repentance. Oh, what a Savior we serve. We have a Savior that we can take to the nations, to every people group on every corner of the world with great joy. I want to read something for you. This is just a little bit of a sidebar, but I came across it again this week. Some of you have probably heard this before. You might even have it hanging as a, a reading in your home, but it's that famous um, writing, One Solitary Life. And I just want to read it again for us, even if you've heard it before. This is what it says about Jesus, our Jesus. Again, it's One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. But 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he remains the central figure of the human race. I think it true when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, all put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. That is our Jesus.
That is the Savior that we serve with joy and take to the nations with great joy. And Mary reminds us in her song, the gospel is for everyone, for the humble, for the hungry, for the lowly. Dr. E. Stanley Jones, the great Methodist scholar, author, and evangelist, said that the Magnificat, Mary's song, may be the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. Wow. It may be the most revolutionary document in the history of the world because it exalts the humble, the lowly, the meek, and the poor. In verse 50, Mary says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And in the context of the New Testament, those who fear him are those who receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. His mercy, his undeserved, unmerited kindness toward, excuse me, toward us is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The mercy of God was for those who lived 3,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, and it is for us today. And not just for us here in the United States, but for every corner of the world. For every person and every people group, his mercy is for generation to generation. Verse 51 and 52, it says, He has shown strength with his arm. Now watch this. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. That's radical, revolutionary. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Think of the world that Mary lived in. She lived at the time of the great Roman emperor where Caesars and governors and other government officials would be paraded around with great pomp and circumstance. They normally would have their thrones or their carriages carried by servants. They would be accompanied by musicians and great celebration. And if they were to come your way, you would bow down before them. You would acknowledge their great power and standing in a society, and you didn't elect them. They were appointed by Rome, and you did whatever they told you to do, and you abided by their laws or faced the consequences of not doing so. That's the world that Mary lived in, but Mary knows that God sets up kings and he puts them down. And I think through the Holy Spirit, Mary could see from generation to generation there have been kingdoms and kings and rulers. They have come and they have gone and they have come and they have gone and they have come and they have gone. But God, but God exalts those of humble estate and one of them was Mary. And in verse 53, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has filled the hungry with good things. Do you know a lot of people around the world right now are hungry? They are. 
They don't have nearly what we have. You know, I was reading something interesting this week that almost every great movement of God in world missions has started among the lowest class of the people, has started generally, not always. There may be some exceptions, but the general rule of thumb is that when the gospel goes into a people group, goes to a particular area of the world, it starts with the humble, with the lowly, with the hungry, with the meek. Why is that so? Because they have nothing else to trust in. Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler when he walked away? He said this. He said it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you remember, his disciples marveled at that. And they even said, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with God, nothing is impossible. But Jesus said it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because they're trusting in their riches. They're trusting in the things of this life. Not so the poor and the lowly and the hungry and the needy. Oh, I just want you to know this morning God has a special place in his heart for them. And often the gospel starts with them and then spreads from there. And then in verses 54 and 55, she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And again, Mary, though a young teenager, has such a rich understanding of the scriptures. She knows that the coming of this one, the one who was in her womb, she knows this has not happened in a vacuum, but it is part of God's overall plan going way back to Abraham. In fact, she knows it goes way back to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, because he is the God that came to us, revealed himself to us through the people of Israel. And Mary knows that he is coming. Her son is coming for all people, but also for his, for her people, for the people of Israel in remembering of his covenant, in remembrance of his promise, promises. And notice again, in remembrance of his mercy of his undeserved, unmerited kindness as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Well, that is Mary's song, a song that is worthy of our ongoing study, a song that teaches us so much about praising God. But I want us to think about something else this morning as we think about Mary's song. When a man or woman receives Christ as Savior, they receive the joy of the Lord. I don't know why that really struck me as I studied this week and as I put this together, as I thought about our theme of hope and joy for the month. When a man or woman, a boy or girl, receives Christ as Savior, they receive the joy of the Lord. And I want us to remember that when we share our faith with others, when we share in our community, when we share or when we take the gospel to the farthest reaches of the world, we are taking them the joy of the Lord. We are. I think we can say that when presenting the gospel. We want you 
to have the joy of the Lord. I want you to have the joy of the Lord like I do. Think again of what Elizabeth said. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John the Baptist in the womb when he heard Mary's greeting leaped, leaped for joy. Mary says in verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. When the wise men were following the star and the star came to rest over the place where the baby was. The Bible says when they saw the star again, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That's what salvation brings to us. We can rejoice with exceedingly great joy. You know, sometimes my heart is broken. I will hear from or read about young men or women who grew up in a Bible-teaching church. And then when they left home, decided to abandon what they grew up with. Decided they don't believe that anymore. In fact, they find the Christian religion oppressive and think it's arrogant that we would want to take this gospel to all kinds of other people and force upon them our beliefs. And they see the Christian faith as nothing more than rules and regulations. And shame on us if that's how we've presented the Christian faith to the young men and women of our church. And this is the whole point. The whole point of the gospel is we are not taking them something oppressive. We're taking to them great freedom. Freedom from enslavement to sin. Freedom to walk with God and to know personally the God who created them and loves them, who sent his son to die for them. Folks, when we take the gospel to people, we are saying, come and share in our joy with us. We want you to be filled with joy. Don't ever get the impression that the people of this world are just going around happy-go-lucky with no problems. That's not the world that we live in. We live in a broken, falling, fallen, suffering world. People all over the world are living in fear and emptiness and loneliness and hopelessness. They are, missionaries tell, of going into cultures that are filled with abuse. They're filled with, excuse me, that are filled with rape. That are filled with all kinds of harshness in the way that they live. It is the gospel that brings them hope. It is the gospel that gives them something to look forward to, that gives them not only hope and joy in this world, but great hope and joy beyond the grave. No one said it better. No one said it better than Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus saw the multitudes. That's how they, he saw the crowds, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Folks, it hasn't changed at all. 
It hasn't changed at all. As we go out into this world, we go out into a people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And more than anything in this universe, they need Jesus and they need his free gift of salvation. Oh, let us, let us be a people of great hope and joy. We have so much to look forward to. As I've shared with you before, one of the podcasts that I listen to on a daily basis is Al Mohler's The Briefing. And if you happen to listen to that, you'll know that he takes a two-week break at Christmas time. And so on Friday, he signed off for the next two weeks. So to all of his listeners, he extended a Merry Christmas, his Christmas greeting until he comes back on again in early January. And what he said at the end just fit perfectly with what I was studying. So I just want to read it for you. And so how he left his listeners, I leave to you this morning as our church family. This is what he says. He says, I want to wish for you and pray for each of you that most wondrous Christmas. May the joy of Christ fill your hearts and fill your homes. May the promise of the gospel give you great joy. May we greet the celebration of his birth with undiluted joy. And may you have the precious gift of time with your family and your loved ones as you celebrate the birth of Christ together. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Merry Christmas. And that's how I want to leave you this morning. May the joy of Christ fill your hearts and fill your homes. May the promise of the gospel give you great joy. May we greet the celebration of his birth with undiluted joy. I love that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that the gospel of our Lord Jesus is a gospel of hope and joy. Help us to be faithful to share that gospel in our community and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.